Please always consult with your physicians prior to making any changes to your treatment plan. Music is courtesy of Ryan Hamner. Welcome to Living with Scanxiety, the cancer podcast, a podcast geared to help you navigate the pediatric cancer world. As a mother of a child who battled a soft tissue sarcoma for over a year, your host, Rosaria Kozar, understands and will help guide you through your journey. She brings the knowledge of experts, families, survivors, and other organizations tied to the pediatric cancer world to your doorstep. Her mission is to inform, support, and promote hope for you and your family. So for the ambassador, um, I hope I can like wait, like raise awareness about like the realities of childhood cancer. Um, I'm excited to attend more like local St. Baldrick's events. Uh, I'm excited in two weeks I get to advocate uh, for kids on for kids with cancer on Capitol Hill for my 11th uh, Action Days, and I also hope to give sort of like an insider's look on how cancer affects the entire family. Hi, and welcome to Living with Scanxiety. Today, I met with two amazing individuals that both have roles at St. Baldrick's Foundation, and they're going to talk a little bit about it. First, we have Scott, and Scott's cancer journey started rather young. He's much older now, as you will see in a few minutes. He's a freshman in high school. Uh, He served as the opening speaker for the 6th Annual Congressional Childhood Cancer Summit and submitted formal testimony to the House Appropriations Committee in support of full funding for the Childhood Cancer Survivorship, Treatment, Access, and Research, also known as the STAR Act. A second individual is also part of the St. Baldrick's Foundation. Her name is Rosalie, and in particular, she serves as the Director of Government Relations and Advocacy for the St. Baldrick's Foundation and the co-chair of the Alliance for Childhood Cancer. Yeah, so what you know, we actually have um, a really big kind of advocacy day um, that's coming up in just a few weeks. This is one that St. Baldrick's works on with actually a lot of other members of the childhood cancer community. Um, we're actually all, we all work together and have formed the Alliance for Childhood Cancer. Um, so it's about 22 different organizations that all kind of join together to focus on um, these specific priorities that we have. And I think it's a really great opportunity for just a lot of different organizations that represent patients and families and providers and um, doctors and nurses um, and all sorts of different groups. And it just makes us a really strong community um, with, you know, one voice that that we can really can bring to the Hill. Um, and so on February 13th and 14th, and 14th is the day that we all head to the Hill, um, we are going to have almost, or actually more than um, 200 uh, advocates from all over the country um, coming to talk about some of our, our policy priorities. Um, and this year, we are going to be focusing on appropriations, which basically just means getting money for childhood cancer funding. Um, and then um, also some uh, bills that touch on um, access issues uh, and then also um, drug shortages, which I know is a thing that affects a lot of childhood cancer patients and providers. And I think it's kind of a very of the moment issue that um, I'm really excited to talk about uh, in a few weeks. <laughs> And what in terms of the access issues, what exactly is that? Definitely. Yeah. So that is um, it's actually a bill that um, our community has been working on for a few years. It's called the Accelerating Kids Access to Care Act. Um, 
that I always trip over the name, but I'm, I think I got it right that time. I gotcha. <laughs> um, and basically this bill um, will make it easier for um, uh, kids with childhood cancer to access care if they have to cross state lines, basically. Oh. I think that's the thing that a lot of childhood cancer um, patients experience is, you know, they, they live in an area where they don't have access to, you know, kind of big medical centers or the care or the, the providers that they need. And so they will have to, you know, go to another state to to get that care. Um, I'm from Alaska originally, and that's a big thing that that child cancer patients in my home state have to do is um, mm. often have to seek care elsewhere. And so at the right now, um, if families are are covered under Medicaid or CHIP, it can be really difficult um, uh, kind of from an administrative perspective to get care and get that, make sure that you're covered for care if you have to cross state lines. So this bill will make it easier and just kind of make it a much smoother, simpler process um, for for uh, kids to access that care. So it's one that we're really excited about. I think it, it affects a lot of families um, and a lot of kids. And I think it'll, uh, if we can get it passed, it'll make a big difference in our community. And um, just for the people listening, I know what Medicare and CHIP are, but can you just tell the listeners? Oh, it's Medicaid, um, which yeah. I, I'm not sure if I said it wrong the first time, but it's Medicaid and CHIP. And these are just um, uh, insurance uh, programs that cover a lot of families um, and a lot of kids. Um, so a, a lot of families who are, are low income or have serious health issues um, can will receive coverage through through Medicaid and CHIP. Um, it's really important. Um Again, I know that a lot of uh, uh, families um, who are affected by childhood cancer, there's a huge financial impact, and so it's it's just a thing that a lot of uh, a lot of families in the space really rely on. It's really they're really important programs. Mm -hmm. What's so interesting to me is so many people forget that they can reach out and get public uh, healthcare and. Yeah, it seems like something that might be so obvious to others, and then others not so much. And like you said, it's important to it absolutely to establish. No, it's absolutely. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, just to have these available for individuals, and you're raising more awareness around it. So that's great. Yeah, it's definitely a thing that I mean. I think that. Um, a lot of people don't, I think, realize kind of the financial impact that really serious health conditions can have on a family. And so I think kind of getting access to to programs and coverage and services that we, we as Americans are entitled to is a, a huge thing. And and I, I really hope that every family who qualifies for, for these programs um, is able to, to um, get access to them. Yeah, great. And uh, I know, Scott, I don't want to leave you hanging too long over there. So you battled uh, leukemia. Which version was it? Because I know there's uh, like different types. Uh, yeah, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Okay. And can you tell me a little bit about that story and how old you were? And Yeah. Uh, so now I'm 15 years old. Um, yeah. I'm a freshman in high school. Uh, I was diagnosed at the age of three. And then uh, after that, I went through three and a half years of treatment. Um, and during that time, I remember actually kind of a lot of the experience. Oh, wow. uh, you know, I uh, often felt like tired and nauseous and weak. And sometimes uh, I would wake up and I would be hungry. But like whenever I would eat, it just made my stomach hurt. Um, and so that experience was really 
long and uh, difficult. Um, and not only uh, the not only were the symptoms like difficult, but if I were to get sick or get a fever, um, I would have to stay in the hospital for at least two days. So it was also a little bit of a lonely experience in the sense that uh, I was kept in a bubble to stay away from germs. And so I missed out on school and hanging out with friends. Um, but I'm still very grateful to be here looking back on like my experiences. And a lot of people say, or I've heard a lot of people say, oh, cured isn't really cured. So what does that mean to you? Or have you heard that before? Yeah, so I think it's definitely like a common misconception that everything is okay after treatment. Um, but that's definitely not the case, you know, and there's still plenty of side effects um, that are associated after treatment. Uh, there's the risk of having second cancers, you know, um, heart disease, hearing loss. And so um, these are some of the things that are looked at through like the STAR Act, you know, um, to try and um, help with these after cancer side effects. Okay. Wow. Is there anything in particular that maybe, did you keep in touch with anybody? I know you were so young, maybe your parents kept in touch with somebody and you see them going through these side effects now. Uh, yeah. So we, I actually, um, when I went to the action days event, uh, for the first time, I met a friend, he was about the same age as me and he had the same diagnosis. Um, and he's now going through his third battle with cancer. Oh, um, wow. he recently just got uh, CAR T cell therapy. And so, uh, now we're hoping that, you know, the third time's a charm and it can hopefully go away for good this time. And do you find that there's a support system for children that have overcome cancer and are now facing these challenges? Yeah. Um, so, uh, the STAR Act helped uh, as the most comprehensive childhood cancer bill in history. You know, um, it has definitely helped with some of these side effects um, in terms of like survivorship. And uh, at school, there's like programs to help uh, me knowing like I've had my diagnosis. And so now there's programs implemented at my school to help me um, get like the resources I need mm -hmm. uh, to do well. And I, I see the State Baldrick's Foundation in your background. So tell me about how you are involved with them. Uh, yeah. So uh, around the time I was diagnosed, it was around Thanksgiving. And my family had heard about the St. Baldrick's Foundation as um, the largest charity funder of child uh, cancer research grants worldwide. And so um, my dad and my brother, uh, wanted to shave their heads uh, to support research. And so, you know, naturally, I kind of wanted to do the same thing, you know, uh, follow what they were doing. And so I had asked my mom um, and I was like really enthusiastic about it. Uh, but I think she was definitely a little bit hesitant and sad because she didn't want me to like take on the stereotypical like cancer kid look for as long as for as long as possible, you know, like she wanted me to, um, stay the, the happy and, uh, like joyful kid that I was. Um, but I was really eager to do it. So I kept asking her and then she finally agreed. And so 
looking back, I still remember the day that I shaved my head um, with St. Baldrick's and it really had a big impact on me because um, after my diagnosis, a lot of the opportunities to be a normal kid were sort of taken away by cancer. And so um, it empowered me to shave my head because for the first time since my diagnosis, I was able to like lose my hair on my own terms, like so Mm -hmm. to speak. And uh, fast forward to now, we sort of stayed um, close to the St. Baldrick's community. Um, And now I'm really eager to be a 2024 ambassador for the foundation. That's fantastic. Cancer on Capitol Hill for my 11th uh, action days. And I also hope to give sort of like an insider's look on how cancer affects the entire family. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because you brought up the entire family and my son had cancer. He's, he's passed, but it does really, it it is almost a disease for the whole family. Obviously you were affected the most going through the treatment. And how did you see it affecting your family and are they still affected today? Yeah. So, um, in the ways that it like affected my family, right. Um, my parents were already like, my sister was like just born around the time I was diagnosed, um, just a few months before. And so it, they had to juggle a lot, um, by the time I was diagnosed, you know, um, I remember a lot of the experiences I had were just being in a hospital bed with my dad. And, um, so it was a huge time commitment and it was a commitment for me because they, um, they were really, um, like responsible, um, for how I would like take my medicines. We had like a schedule, um, so I could take all my medicines and the appropriate doses. Um, but also my siblings, like they tried to like not lose as much attention. Um, and so they kind of kept me down to earth. Um, you know, they were really like honest with me. And so I really appreciate that a lot. Yeah, I can imagine just kind of keeping things like a sense of normalcy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had advice for a uh, parent that is experiencing their child going through cancer, what would you say to them? Yeah, so uh, I would say stay motivated because for the most part, I think your child may actually know more about what's going on um, than you think they do. So I think it's definitely important to um, keep working, even if it like seems like there's no end in sight. Like having looked back, um, I'm so thankful that my parents worked as hard as they did to make sure I took like the appropriate doses and kept me on the schedule that I had. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so grateful for everything they did to keep me safe. And that's why I'm so happy to still be here and have these advocating opportunities. And when you speak about happiness, there's also the other side of the coin in terms of school. I don't know if you've seen it with some of your friends that have gone through it, but I've heard a lot about it and that's bullying. Have you, or did you experience that? Or do you see friends that had cancer experience that? Uh, for me in school, there was like a little bit of insensitivity. Um, you know, like they kind of didn't 
understand like the experiences and the challenges that well, but um, overall, I think the teachers were very accepting of what I went through. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a little bit of like impoliteness um, from like peers. And how did you handle that? How do you handle questions that are inappropriate? Yeah. So like if they have honest like questions about my diagnosis, I'll definitely like try to address those um, because like I don't really see there being any good in being like closed off about uh, mm-hmm. cancer. You know, like if I have the opportunity to spread awareness, I definitely like to do that. Um, but if there's like insensitive questions, I'll try to um, just ignore it because I know what I've like. I know the challenges and I um and like confident enough to um go seek help if I need it for the most part I don't um but I'm also like I know like they don't know what I went through exactly uh you don't know unless you know I hate that it's a little cliche but it's it's true so thank you guys so much is there anything else you'd like to share you know I think that I one thing that I love about kind of advocacy in this space and like I mentioned, our upcoming action days um, uh, later this month is just the the role and the value that advocates and, you know, members of this community and people who've experienced childhood cancer, just kind of the incredible role that they've played in really getting the federal government to take action in this space. You know, I think that, I mean, with with childhood cancer, you know, when we're talking about new drug development and and, um, research and advances, it's really not a thing that we can rely on, you know, private industry to to do for us. Um, So we really have to focus on, you know, making sure that the federal government is really invested in this space. And I think that that has really paid off. Um, You know, we've seen just huge advances, um, you know, over the past Ten years or more, um, in how much money the federal government is investing in childhood cancer research, um, and it's led to some, you know, incredible advancements. And it's just really, I think, an area where advocates can look around and really see uh, an incredible impact. Um, so it's just, it's a, a space that I'm so proud to work in, and I'm, I've so enjoyed meeting just incredible volunteers and advocates in this space who I think can can really show. A, a, the difference that they've made. Um, so I think it's a, a great space to, um, to, to work in and to, uh, you know, it, it's an incredible community. And um, yeah, I just, I feel like I've learned so much from advocates about, you know, how to really talk with lawmakers and, and the offices um, with a lot of expertise, a lot of empathy, um, and just, you know, really talk about why this issue is important to us how, um, you know, legislation can really affect um, families and survivors um, and researchers and providers. Um, I just, I think that there is, um, it's a really incredible space to to see advocacy, to see the fruits of our, our efforts here. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I asked, what is the mission of the St. Baldrick's Foundation? So I think that, um, I mean, we fund childhood cancer research. I think that is a very basic um, way yeah. of saying it. And I think that that, um, I mean, one thing that I think a lot about, you know, in terms of why St. Baldrick's exists is kind of what I mentioned earlier is that we cannot rely on, you know, 
private companies, private you know pharmaceutical companies to do this research. We have to fill this gap. So, um, yeah, the St. Baldrick's Foundation, like Scott said, is um, the largest funder of childhood cancer research. Um, we do incredible work in this space, and um, yeah, I, I'm I'm so proud to to, to work for St. Baldrick's. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott, yeah. one final question for you. You are a freshman in high school, so where do you see yourself in ten years? Where are you going to be? What are you going to be doing? So in 10 years, how old? Okay, so yeah, so I'll be about 25, right? So out of college, maybe Duke for engineering. We'll see. Um, Maybe NC State for engineering. I'm not sure. But um, I think I probably like to start uh, as a biomedical engineer, you know, Um, spent so much time in the hospital. I really uh, want to do what I can to, you know, maybe make a difference in uh, the field of childhood cancer research. So I think uh, engineering is a field that definitely like piques my interest. That's great because we need more people that have that type of, you know, just engine behind them to work hard. And sometimes it does come from those that have been heavily affected. Uh, um, and I am so sorry that you you experienced what you did. Uh, and I'm so thankful at the same time that you're participating in the advocacy and your future goals are just so appreciated by the community. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. And what and is the I, website? Oh, sorry, Scott. Go ahead. I don't know. Uh, if I can just add one more thing, uh, you know, there's a lot of scary statistics surrounding childhood cancer. Uh, it's actually the number one disease killer of kids in the U.S. And mm-hmm. one in five kids diagnosed, uh, unfortunately, will not survive. And you, know, these these are really like devastating. Um, and so we would seriously love for any like any more advocates to um, help and join us to advocate for more uh, childhood cancer research. It seriously means so much to the community as a whole. Do they have to be from California? Because I know that's where you're located. Okay. No, we're, uh, uh, I mean, uh, both St. Baldrick's and um, the Alliance are, are national organizations. We have volunteers from every state. Mm. That's great. So what's the website that they can go to to sign up for or um, help to advocate? So we are the St. Baldrick's Foundation, and we uh, there's amazing opportunities that that St. Baldrick's has in terms of advocacy. And then we're just uh, stbaldrick's.org. And then um, the Alliance for Childhood Cancer, which hosts this um, Action Days um, every year, and which we will have in a few weeks, is um, uh, allianceforchildhoodcancer.org. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much. And thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for tuning in to Living with Scanxiety. Please subscribe to hear more informative discussions like today's. 